this week we're going to be on our last chapter and uh, all good things must come to an end except for God. And uh, it's been a really uh, a blessing to go through this book again. I'm sure, sure and hope you guys are blessed with it. And we're going to be going through the last chapter called Take Responsibility for Your Own Spiritual Life. I absolutely love this chapter and I'm looking forward to getting into it with you guys. And so the first section is, is what is or what God is what is God looking for? Um, so growing up, I thought kind of like Brant that, you know, what God's looking for me is, you know, to read my Bible and pray and maybe evangelize. And, you know, the funny thing is, is when you read the Bible, there is so much into it that is way more than that. Uh, it's way more complicated than just reading your Bible and praying. And there's uh, following him and uh, doing what he is actually actually called us to do, and so what what is God actually looking for us? Uh, I kind of loved how Brant alluded to, and um, because he talks about it in a few sections later about our emotions, and you know sometimes I think we can feel like, well, if I don't feel God, I, you know, I'm not actually doing what he wants and we base our whole entire relationship with God and what he's looking for off of our emotions and so but what Brant said so helpfully is that what God is ultimately looking for is our loyalty to him and loyalty means not letting our sinfulness keep us from God you know, so God is looking for our obedience towards Him. He wants us to worship Him with our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. He wants us to be obedient in our thought life and in our actions and the in the way we treat others. And so, uh, when I was doing evangelism a few years ago with a group of guys, there was this one guy in the group. He had this saying because, you know, we don't like it, it, it's hard sometimes with evangelism because I don't want someone just to pray a prayer and then just go about their life. Like, obviously, becoming a follower of Jesus is much more than just praying a prayer to God. Um, and he had this quote. He said, um, if he is not your Lord, he is not your savior. And so God, he bought us with the precious blood of Christ. And if God if God bought us, then we must submit to what he says in his word and, and be under his authority. So, yeah, I really appreciated that section of what Brant said. Um, Scott kind of alluded to on Sunday about angerness. Um, I, I can't remember how much you went into depth in the sermon, but I know there was uh, something about, you know, what angers God and your takeaway, Scott, was that what angers God is keeping people from worshiping God. But um, if you want to actually kind of know a little bit more and if maybe you deal with like anger uh brant actually wrote another book his first book was called unoffendable um and it's all about dealing with anger and and it's a really great and it's another great wisdom book as well 
But as I was like going through the section, I thought, you know, why do we get angry at things? So what are some of the, or why is it that we get angry? Like, can some of you give me a little bit of why you think we as humans get angry with other people or angry towards maybe injustices or maybe just minute things like Scott was talking about. Um, like we get angry about someone cutting off, cutting us off in traffic and all that. Lack of control. Hmm. Can you uh, elaborate more a little bit? I, think, I mean, you know, things aren't going our way or what, you know, we don't have the, you know, we're not in charge of it. And, and that can be from little things from how a conversation is going to traffic patterns to, yeah. You know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Think of it like being, uh, one, one term that I like to use is being jammed up. There's this kind of uh, feeling that you have of, of like uh, y- your emotions are leading you into something that you don't have a clear path through. And it's that feeling of being jammed up. And I think anger comes out of that because it, I mean, it could be a lot of it's control. But Isaac is saying too, like, um, I, I can't get through to where I want to be. Mm-hmm. So, so anger is just, it's like, it's like our soul trying to push through all that, whatever that jam up is to get to where we want to be. Like, and, and then some of it is just like justice, you know, think, think, think of it this way. Like if you, uh, you know, if you came across somebody and they're abusing a kid, you're going to feel an you're mm-hmm. anger. Yeah. But part of the response to anger is like, this is something that's out of order. This is something mm-hmm. fixed right now. And I got to have time to rationalize through. I don't have time to, it's, it's like that, it's that, uh, it, it's momentum kind of, but it's hitting an obstacle that anger is supposed to be pushing through. So I don't know if that happens, yeah. but. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, as I always kind of think about this, I think me and Joel and John talked about it on the podcast or something, but, um, you know, I'm going to admit to you guys something that, is even probably more embarrassing than like even admitting an actual sin. But I really like, and since I've been in teenage years, I've really liked to watch uh, like 600 pound life, thousand pound sisters, biggest loser. Uh, I, I don't know. I just, I really like watching those shows. It's one of my, uh, what do you call it? Like guilty pleasures. Yeah. And, I was kind of thinking about it, and in the same way, you know, why do I like watching those shows? Why are those shows so popular? It's because, uh, listen, I'm not Thor or Captain America. I'm not, like, ripped and, like, all that. But when I watch these shows, in some ways, like, I'm thinking, you know what? I may not be athletic guy or ripped guy, but I'm not, like, them, and so I think it's the same way with anger. You know, if we get angry over stuff, um, and some of it can be good, like obviously there's injustices that happen that we get angry about. That's uh, in a way right, but there's a lot of it. Ninety percent of it is more of just you're just ticked off at something that you've probably done before, anyways. And so when we get angry. It's kind of like we're trying to rationalize, well, they're stupid, they're this and that, and it's to project to ourselves and make us feel better. And I think that's probably a part of the reason why we get angry and 
all that. Um, so, so I remember this quote one time, and I think it's by Chesterton, J.K. Chesterton, and someone asked him what was wrong with the world, and Chesterton responded, me. And so, sure, there are sins that we should be angry about in this world. There is a tremendous amount of injustice happening all around. But at the end of the day, and Brant quoted in his book, Unoffendable, and I'm paraphrasing on this quote because I couldn't remember the exact quote, but it says, if you're going to get angry about all the injustice in the world, then you won't stop being angry. And it's so easy for us to get angry about other people's sins. Uh, but the honest question comes is, when was the last time you were angry about your own sin in your life as you're angry about the other stuff? I was just meditating on that a little bit today because I just get so irritated sometimes with workers or other things. And, you know, God just kind of, like I'm reading this humility book and God just kind of had to put a check on my heart and it's like, what about your lust? Like, what about your pride? Like, you, as angry as that, as you are with, like, the people who annoy you at work? And so I think we need to, you know, check ourselves and ask God to humble ourselves in that. And Scott said it so many times, and I'm paraphrasing Scott like I did with Brant Hansen, but, um, you know, we often like grace for ourselves, but judgment on others. And I really appreciate that. Um, we must come, and so what we got to do, guys, is we got to come before the Lord and really ask to humble ourselves, look at our sin, and take our sin before the cross and all that. So, I love this chapter. Don't confuse your emotions or lack of emotions with spirituality. See, I can't pronounce things. I I must have some sort of, you know, a, a lisp or some sort of a speech impediment or something. I don't know. But I like this quote by Brandt. Being spiritual simply does not mean being emotional. So I don't know about you guys, but I've struggled with, and especially as a new believer with this, that I thought if I'm in like a worship service on Sunday, and I'm not like raising my hands and and like weeping my eyes out like there was something wrong with me. And and there was this guy, um, yeah, you remember Andrew, Joel, right? Uh, there was this guy uh, in our evangelism that we did evangelism with, and he... He's just a stellar dude, but he would, um, after each time on Friendship Square when we did evangelism, we would sing the hymn, uh, I think it was like a, the, the Trinity hymn or something. And, you know, he would just be raising his voice, looking to heaven, like it, you could just see on his face, like just, he just loved praising God. And I was like, you know what, I'm not like this guy like is there something wrong with me and maybe some of you have thought maybe on Sunday worship like you know 
maybe you're not like expressive and you're not emotional and that sort of thing. And one day I was listening to the podcast uh, that I listened to, uh, Pastor's Perspective, and there's a caller that called in, asked this question about emo- emotional stuff, and I can't remember the question, but this really hit me, and it, and the pastor said, we should not confuse personality with spirit, spirituality. So some of us are wired different and express uh, our worship to God in a different ways, and you know what? That's okay. Um, you know that. You know, it, obviously, we want to maybe branch out, but you know, there's nothing wrong with you if that's not if you're not all emotional. Like, are you obedient to God? Are again, it goes back to are you loyal to Him? Um, that's like the big thing because He could be emotional. But if you're not obedient to him, it's just all it is is worthless praise. Like in the Old Testament, there's these people sacrificing animals to God. And it was like, and God's like, they worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And so is, you know, is your heart in the right posture? Is it in the right place? That's what God wants from us. Uh, you know enough to act. And I want to say this just like Brant did. Uh, knowledge is very good, and uh, we should not stop wanting to learn more about who God is and Scripture and reading um, books about the Bible. But it can be a crutch. Uh, you know, I think about the two biggest things uh, that people or that church people read about our evangelism and prayer. And, and, and I can understand why, like, obviously when we're presenting the gospel to our coworkers, our friends, family, we don't really want to miss the key points in the gospel message because it's really important. Um, and we don't want to screw someone's salvation thing up. Like it's all dependent on us anyways, but, um, and then with prayer, you know, we want, we want to, I don't know if you guys, uh, have thought this, but sometimes when I pray, uh, or I kind of think of like, am I praying right? Am I, you know, it, it, does it sound good? And you know, you have a great prayer is when you're praying and then all of a sudden, like some people over on the other in the circle are like, oh yes, Lord, yes. Like you know, it's a good prayer when you start hearing that. Um, but yeah, we as Christ followers, um, you know, we we can do what Christ says now. We can turn from our sin. We can love our enemies. We can pray for blessings over the people who persecute us. We can forgive the people that have wronged us. We can actually pray to God. Like I, I, you know, yeah, speaking of prayer, I, you know, prayer is just talking to God. And, you know, I look at my son who is five years old, can kind of talk, I guess, um, if he's not making fart jokes or poop jokes half the time. But I wouldn't want him to, like, just say, well, I'm not going to talk to my dad because, you know, I'm not doing it right. Like, that's 
not the way, I mean, God wants us to talk with him. We're his children. And even if we fumble in our prayers, I, God knows our heart and what we're trying to say. So, and if you have to think about, just think about the disciples. They walked and talked with Jesus on this earth for three years during Jesus' ministry. And most of the time they were doing stuff with Christ. They weren't just in a room learning a bunch of stuff and then, you know, going about their life. They were actively involved with healing people, uh, telling people about um, Christ and everything. They were acting and doing things as well as learning. So if they can do it, we can do it as well. The dangerous myth as long as I'm not hurting someone else. So I know Scott's seen this show, but has anyone seen Breaking Bad? Most of it? First season. Wow, you guys didn't finish it? Gosh. It's one of my favorite shows. I've seen it twice through. But there is this, uh, in, in the second season, there is this, uh, they kind of go on a, they kind of show a bunch of luggage stuff in a pool and all over the yards around this neighborhood. And through the whole season, you're trying to figure out what in the world is actually happening. I won't spoil everything, um, but it's, it has been out 10 years, so you're kind of late to the ball on that one. But um, but what happened was is there was this gal that was doing heroin, and she died of an overdose. And apparently her father was um, a traffic control for the airport. And it it just, I guess, like, mentally, like, screwed him up that his daughter died. And so one day while he was working, and he shouldn't have been working, uh, planes crashed into each other, and, and uh, that's where all the luggage and stuff came. And so it's this idea that, uh, you know, there is hidden sin and it doesn't really hurt anybody that's simply not the case like our sin has a ripple effect like for example with you know pornography with you know us guys um, you know even though someone may not know about it it's affecting your emotions about how maybe you treat others at your job or or with your wife your spouse um you know, that hidden sin does affect us. And so there's no such thing as a secret sin. Our sin affects our ability to be men others need us to be. Okay. People, people with self-control are more interesting. Um, I like the, the example he brought up about someone who watches pornography and if they were offered $10 million dollars, to stop watching it for a week that that person could have self-control and I remember uh, years ago listening to a John Piper sermon and he kind of said the same kind of scenario um, a little bit different scenario but same principle and I think honestly one of the biggest crutches that we have and I think you know I'm not saying that modern psychology is all bad but I do believe that it can be a crutch sometimes where we kind of make ourselves a victim and that thing that we're doing as a victimizer and that's just simply not true we 
We are the victimizer. We are the ones that choose to do that. Um, you know, you can put a, a laptop on a table. It's never going to force you to do anything. So, um, and I can honestly say as I have battled with uh, pornography, um, I'm going to be straight up honest with you. It, it wasn't because I was an addict. It wasn't because like... Yeah, it wasn't because I was an addict. It was because simply because I loved the sin. And I think if we realize this, if we humble ourselves and realize... I mean, God knows us. God knows everything about us. He knows us better than you know yourself. And, you know, I think we need to just be honest about, about that and say, you know what? I'm not an addict in this. I simply love it and I need to get before the Lord and confess it to him and confess it to others. Um, and so how do we get, have a little bit more self-control? Like what are some practical ways uh, to gain more self-control on these type of areas? Uh, one is expand the vision of who you are and who you need to be. So this idea of, you know, if you're about to drink the alcohol, that's going to lead you to drunkenness or pornography or whatever besetting sin it is, um, you know, envision yourself. What kind of man do you want to become? Do you want to become that person that nobody respects? That you don't. You do you want to become that? You know that. Do you want to become a godly man or you know someone who distances himself from God? And two is use your self-control to change circumstances. And one of the examples he gave was this guy would be going to business meetings at hotels and in advance, when he had the self-control, he asked the hotel people to take the TV out of the room so that way uh, he wouldn't get tempted with pornography that those are some of the ways that we can do i know that uh for example um you know today i, I was having lustful thoughts in in my head while i was working i'm like before this gets out of control like i need to text my accountability team saying hey i'm struggling with this pray for me because if i keep letting it go on then i may not later when it gets real bad and then three, be around people more. You know, again, a classic example is pornography. I've never watched pornography with someone else in the room. And if you're around people more, it's less likely to happen. If you're around others more, um, it's just better all around. So those are the three kind of like practical ways that we can have a little bit more self-control in these areas where we need to work and grow on in our, in our, where we're not self-controlled. I want to do a conclusion and we can get into discussion. Um, there's a lot of practical wisdom in this book and we're not going to be perfect at it at all. Um, we're going to fail at times at men, as men. I know yesterday when I was doing the notes for this, uh, I was not the men, my, the man that my wife needed to be because I needed to watch the kids and I was very grumpy and irritated that she kept coming in the room and interrupting me while I did this, prepared these notes. 
And you know what? We're just going to fall short because we're human beings. And, you know, what do we do when we fall short, when we don't meet the standards that even Brant has? Like, we can't even meet, like, we can't even meet our own standards, let alone God. So, but what are we going to do? And the thing is, is we shouldn't look at our failures. We should look at our advocate. The one who bought us with his blood, who died the death that we deserved, and lived a perfect and sinless life that we could not live. And he defeated death by rising from the dead for us, for the forgiveness of our sins. And so let's not hope in our works, but hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ as we walk in this life as men that God created us to be. And so I wanted to close with this verse, uh, Philippians 1, 9 through 11, and just pray over us and then we can get into discussion. So Philippians 1, 9 through 11, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Father, thank you for these uh, last seven or so weeks that we've been going through this book, Lord, and we just ask you um, just to help us become the men that we need for our wives, our children, um, the people in our church, that we can step up and that we, um, by your spirit, Lord, can humbly submit ourselves to you and what your word and what you have to say about how we should be men. And we thank you ever so much for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for dying on the cross and forgiving us of our sins and giving us new life in you. In your name we pray. Amen.